So last week, we listened to a sermon of sermons. Uh, the uh, Stephen the deacon was um, preaching the word of God. Uh, he had uh, was a man that met the criteria for serving, and that criteria for serving was somebody who was of good reputation, that was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, because the uh, the twelve apostles were hearing complaints about the fairness in the daily distribution of needs um, between the Greek speaking Jews and those who had. Um, who had taken on the Greek culture and those that are uh, were what they would consider true Jews. So there was the problem between the Hellenists and those that were uh, those that just lived in Israel and did not adopt the Greek culture. So uh, where we uh, then there was this um, this opportunity for uh, Stephen to speak that came from him being framed. Uh, he was framed as being a blasphemer. Uh, of the Lord and one that was challenging uh, the teachings of Moses. So uh, as those things uh, came about, these uh, false uh, witnesses came forward uh, against Stephen and he got thrown he got uh, thrown in front of after being uh, apprehended, got thrown in front of the religious leaders. And in front of the religious leaders, uh, he preached the bark off them. And uh, they were uh, they were uh, not happy with what he said. And he had uh, near the end of his lesson called them stiff necked and hard of hearts, meaning that they're stubborn and that they were only concerned with their own will versus the will of God. So when things came to a head, they had got to the point where being cut to the heart uh, rather than, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, when those who heard the word of God were cut to the heart, they repented. They said, men and brethren, what do we do? Uh, and, and they said, repent, all of you, and be baptized in the name of Christ, right? These guys, when they were cut to the heart, had the exact opposite response. And they grew violent. And they dragged St Stephen out after stopping their ears and lashing out at them, uh, him with their tongues. They were yelling at him. And they stopped their ears, dragged him out, and they stoned him to death. So our brother Stephen lost his life that day for speaking boldly in the name of Christ and, and for speaking what needed to be spoke to those religious leaders. So uh, he, he lost his life and uh, he was stoned to death, but we saw it wasn't this sorrowful death for him. He was able to, the Lord gave him a, a vision of seeing Jesus Christ standing next to God the Father. And he said, I see Jesus you know, standing at the right hand of God. And, and he actually, as he's being killed by these men, he says he asks God to not charge them with that sin. That's a powerful thing that only the Holy Spirit residing within us can give us that type of love for somebody. So uh, where we pick up here in, in, in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, we have to understand where, you know, where we came from because right at the end of that, it says that there was a man named Saul that was there uh, holding everybody's coats as they killed our brother Stephen. So now that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and great lamentation was made. So we, we understand that Saul was the man that was holding everybody's coats while Stephen was being uh, stoned to death. 
And uh, but we that was an introduction to Saul. Saul, uh, as we'll see here, now uh, is is filled with rage and is now persecuting the church. He's trying to find Christians so that he can lock them up or have them killed. He doesn't care either way. He just wants to stop the name of Christ. What we see, though, we won't get to it this week, but next week Saul had an unplanned meeting on the road to Damascus and ends up meeting Jesus Christ. And his life changed, and he becomes our beloved brother Paul. And, uh, and the radical change in his life because he had an interaction with Jesus Christ. So if, you, if you've ever wondered if you've done too much to be able to be saved, Paul even called himself a murderer of Christians. He called himself the chief of sinners. And Paul met on the road to Damascus, gave his life to Christ, and became a Christian, a follower of, of Christ. This guy was so bad that nobody believed when he got saved. You know, is that a familiar thing that, that our enemy would whisper in our hearts? Like, no, 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 you can't affiliate with Jesus. You're too bad. You can't walk into church because if you do, things are going to catch on fire. It's going to collapse on you, right? That's what our enemy wants to say to us to keep us from being in, in a, a, an environment where we're going to hear the word of God. And so when we understand who this man is, and we know, I know I just gave you a huge spoiler on who he is and what's about to happen if you're not familiar with it, but I encourage you to, to read this and, and, and go home and read the rest of the book of Acts or whatever. By the way, I didn't ask anybody if they need Bibles. Does anybody need a Bible? We're going through the whole chapter together. If you don't have one on your phone or in your hand, uh, you might need one. So if you need one, just raise your hand. we got a whole stack of them back there, and we'll get one to you. Okay, everybody's good? Okay. So uh, so now we'll get back to this. And But uh, Saul was, uh, as we see here, um, he was not only consenting to the death of, of Stephen. He was um, holding everyone's clothes while they uh, stoned him, and he aided those who were putting them to death. So this Saul that was mentioned, uh, a quick uh, introduction to him. Uh, we saw his name mentioned last week, but Saul of Tarsus is what he was known as. And uh, he was, uh, by his own words, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So one that had taken on the Jewish religion fully in his life. He wasn't just a casual um, a Hebrew. I mean, this man, uh, as he described, he, full, he followed the letter of the law to the T as much as one could. Not that he said he was blameless, but he said that he, he was considered blameless regarding the Jewish law. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, his father was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was educated by a man that we were introduced to in Acts chapter 5 named Gamaliel, who was a teacher uh, in the land and a great teacher of much respect uh, to uh, everyone in Israel. So uh, he sat at, at Gamaliel's feet and learned and uh, uh Paul was a man who took the Jewish law very seriously, and we see here that he even went to persecution to those that challenged the, the Jewish law uh, because he didn't understand that Christ came to fulfill the law. Uh, Christ didn't, he, when he said, he said he didn't come to take away the law, to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Uh, so he didn't know who Jesus was, but all he thought was this guy was here leading people astray and, uh, and that it was his job to uh, to stop that. So uh, that's what the church is facing, is this man that was um, uh, leading a great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. And we see here that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, 
uh, except for the apostles. And it, it says here that, uh, that in verse 2, that devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Uh, where it says devout, I, I, when I read that, those are some brave guys right there. That they just watched and they knew that he, their brother had been stoned for what he said and for his belief that he would not reject. And here they are when he is killed. They are devout in their faith to the Lord that they uh, don't care. And they go get Stephen and they bring him to uh, his burial with great lamentation. They had seen something horrific. They had lost their brother. And uh, their brother was a man, as I said earlier, of, of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And he had given everything in, in service to the Lord to further the gospel. And, you know, he, uh, Stephen, no doubt where he saw the father and he saw Jesus Christ standing at his right hand, uh, received a great reward in the presence of the Lord where the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means when he left this world, the worst that could happen to him had already happened. And now he was going on to his eternal reward in Christ. And uh, that's that's a, uh, a comforting thing for him. He wasn't going, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. He knew he was going right into the hands of his Savior. He was treated by contem in, uh, in contempt by this world. Uh, but uh, this world, as Hebrews 11 said, was not worthy of our brother Stephen. And uh, that's that's quite a statement where, you know, they thought they were they had won and they had shut him up. But all they did, uh, they'll see here was uh, was stoke the fire uh, within Christians. Because if you look back a little bit in verse one, it says great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they I like here that they were scattered throughout uh, Judea and Samaria and uh, where, where it says that they were they were scattered. But we're going to see here uh, when we get to verse three that it, it, that's uh, it doesn't have the effect that they hoped it would. So uh, when we see here that there's great persecution happening, uh, yes, it scattered them. And I want to share a word from uh, Warren Wearsby. He said the salt was being uh, led away from Jerusalem uh, like, a, you know, Jerusalem, the salt shaker. You know, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the, the gospel would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you look there at verse 1, it says uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1. He, he was prophesying, saying, guys, this is what's going to happen to you. When you go out, you're going to receive power from on high, and that power from on high is so that you can go be witnesses in these places. And look where it happened, Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria, just as Christ said, if we can't, we don't think we, we can trust his word, we need to be able to. But as, as Wearsby said, the salt was leaving the Jerusalem salt shaker. I like that. And uh, we'll get into salt here in a little bit. But salt is a preservative, right? We are the salt, salt of the world. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. You know, that salt, that preservative, you know, I... Um, Often there's uh, just we're often saying, oh, man, this world, look, look where it's going and everything. And it will make us want to sometimes become recluses. And, and but we're not called to be recluses. We're called to be light in a dark world. We're supposed to be the preservative, those that are preaching against. And by, and by the way, we live our lives, living our lives, lives differently so that that there would be a preserving effect that comes from our lives and that the words that we share would be light. 
to a dark world. So we're not called to, to shy away from those things. But what we see here is, is the salt was being scattered. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, Saul here we see is on a war path, and he's dragging Christians out of their homes, men and women. Uh, he's locking them up in prison for their faith, and uh, this is all-out war on the church. Uh, don't let there be no mistake. This is all-out war on the name of Christ that Saul had was waging here. Uh, and he's ready to go. He's ready to just, uh, you know, fight this and uh, and try to to smother out the the name of Christ. He's fighting fighting a, a losing battle. Now, understanding uh, who Paul is and and his mindset uh, that we're going to understand uh, more, uh, you know, on the grace side of Paul's life. But this is what he said about himself. Um, looking back at this, so we understand more about Paul. First Corinthians fifteen nine uh, will pop up there. Uh, For I am the least of the apostles, uh, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That we're going to see his life change, and when he looks back at it, he says he's not even worthy to be called an apostle, one that was especially sent out by God to preach the gospel. Apostle means sent one. Now, Acts chapter 26, verse 9, this is Paul speaking about himself. He says, I, uh, indeed, I myself thought I must do uh, many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many uh, of the saints I shut up in the prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, look at this, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You know, this is intense, widespread, deep-rooted persecution in his heart, where he even said that he was enraged, enraged against them. This wasn't like, hey, we're going to tell you, we're going to slap you on the wrist and tell you to go away. No, this guy's hunting Christians down kicking doors in, grabbing people, driving them uh, right into prisons or to their death and causing them to, to forsake Christ and to blaspheme his name. I mean, if you look back on your life and, and you know your, your old flesh wants to remind you, or your enemy wants to remind you of who you once were, I mean, if there isn't a greater example of somebody who would just say, you know what, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Guess what? We're not called to follow God because we're good enough. We're called to follow him because of his grace, his unmerited for favor, and his mercy, not getting what we do deserve, right? Getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do. That's when, when God calls us and he saves us based on, on his grace and not our good works, that, that's the God we serve. Because otherwise, Paul was, was doomed. There was no way for him to be saved. But because of Christ's uh, sacrifice on, on the cross, there's no sin that can't be forgiven. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we can repent. We can come to the Lord and let him just bring it all and say, God, you see all this junk. You see what's what I've uh, just made a mess of my life. And, and all these things have just been a chaos that I've had in my life and those around me are experiencing. God, save me. That simple prayer. God hears that. And that's, that's a prayer of salvation saying, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me. That's it. 
There's no magic words. There's no, it's, it's, it's the, what's happening in the heart. The, the broken and contrite heart are precious in front of God's eyes. And when he sees that and he knows that, man, how many of us, if we had a child coming up to us just broken over something, we're going to go, yeah, now you're going to get what you deserve, right? No. If we, if we have that love residing in our hearts, we're going to grab right a hold of them, give them a hug and say, you know, I forgive you, give them a big hug and tell them how much we love them. That's the heart of our father. Even so, even so much more than what we could experience in that. Oh, he loves us so much. Verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered, so they were scattered, right, into Judea and all Samaria. I love this. Went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> right? They're getting persecuted out of their homes and murdered and, and getting caused to blaspheme. And what do they do when they scatter? They don't scatter and hide. They're not like digging holes and, and, and covering them over and, you know, hiding in back rooms. No, they're, they're scattered, but they're preaching the word everywhere. So do you see what's happened here? The, the fire is being spread. That's all they're doing is, is like this is, this is like this is something. Uh, what's happening is this persecution is stoking the fire and spreading the fire like a wildfire. And, and the, the effect they hoped it would have. The religious leaders and Paul thought, you know, you know what? We're going to shut Stephen up and we're going to make an example of him. Everybody else is going to shut up or they're going to end up like we like like Stephen just did. And but the opposite happens. And as they scatter, the word of God is being preached. That's amazing to read. It says, therefore, because look at that, that word, therefore, right? Here's the joke. We all familiar with in this church, right? Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Because if we go back and we see there was great persecution happening, and because there was great persecution happening, the word of God scattered. And as the people scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. So that, that persecution had the, the opposite effect that they had hoped. Persecution has a purifying effect on the Christian. And uh, when, when we understand that those who were, were persecuting the church, uh, you know, Saul and his gang and whoever were hoping to, to smother uh, the fire and shut them all up. But what it did is it caused them to scatter, preach the word, and they did it boldly. So this was another attack from outside the church that had, had failed. So historically, the more the church is persecuted, the more the gospel spreads. Uh, when you when you look back into history, starting with the first century church that we see here and throughout history, the more the church is told to shut up, the more the fire just gets built <clears throat> because there's there's a defiance that happens in the life of the Christian, in the heart of the Christian, because the Holy Spirit is is living within us. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit is the more we're told to be quiet, the more we're going to be bold and say, no, I'm not going to be. I can't be quiet. I can't be quiet about Christ. It's the times of peace that the church gets lazy, that the church gets complacent. Uh, you know, we've seen that in our own lives, right? Uh, if you ever notice when we get lazy, we get complacent, you know, you're like, oh, wait, you know, I, I actually did need to mow the lawn. I know I didn't mow the lawn the last three weeks, and now look what I have to contend with, right? You know, I didn't take the trash out. Man, does this stuff stink after three weeks in July, Right. You know, all those awful things that end up being a result of us being lazy. Uh, the Proverbs chapter 6, you can turn there if you want. It's going to be up here, but we're going to read six verses here. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, 
overseer or ruler, provides her supply in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Will you, uh, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So Solomon, as he's writing this proverb, compares an ant to a sluggard. And he says the ant is constant working and uh, making preparations and, uh, you know, becoming good at feeding themselves. We can learn a lot spiritually from watching an ant, right? It may sound a little silly, but when you look at, you know, Solomon and the wisdom that he had from the Holy Spirit, a special wisdom to share with the world, he says you can look at the ant and learn a lot and that they're constantly working and making preparation. We must be, as Christians, constantly going to work in the scriptures. If Sunday morning, and I'm not, this isn't like fire brimstone and, you know, anything like that. It's an encouragement to all of us to be at work in the scriptures every single day. If this is the only time we're getting fed Sunday morning, we're starving ourselves. You get that, right? Think about, you eat one meal a week, you're going to be dead soon. Right, one meal a week, and you're going, you know, six days without meals. You're not going to make it. Same thing happens with our spirit if we're not being uh, faithful to be in the Word. That constant working in the Word. It, it's not like work where you're punching in and punching out. We're being blessed and being edified, being built up, right, and and being strengthened by the Word. So when we get in the Word, it's it, it can even be for selfish motives, just to grow. But being in the Word is an act of worship where God. Uh, you know, blesses us and he builds us and he, and he strengthens us, you know, and when you consider the, the opposite, when you look at the sluggard uh, and the uh, what's the rebuke that is contained in here, uh, sluggard, when you think of a slug, uh, I stepped on one the other day. It was really gross. I didn't realize I stepped on anything. You ever stepped on a, a like, it, I just felt something like, like shoot out from under my foot. I'm like, what is that? And it's this little, little little slug, you know, and I felt bad, you know, this is weird me. I'll pick up worms when they're stuck on the road. It's just, sorry, but I feel bad, you know, so I, I grabbed this leaf cause you can't touch them. Right. Um, I, you know, they, you gotta you know, take them and, you know, throw them in the, it, something or anything. I say you can't touch them, but I have two daughters over here. My youngest two, uh, that, uh, both, uh, had, uh, some pretty funny stories about slugs where they've come to us at, uh, uh at different times. Um, uh, Ashley, the middle one there, you see, uh, she, she gained a nickname and she's about 10 shades of red right now. Uh, but, but they know, they know, uh, but she came, she came to my uncle and she's got a whole handful of slugs. And from then on, you know, as a little kid, then on, she was known as slug. And then Ashley, uh, sorry, Natalie did the same thing. And uh, we were at a, at a barbecue and uh, just hanging out with some friends in, in town. And uh, Natalie comes up with two handfuls, well, just like this, walking up with snails and slugs, just nasty thing. And you guys know you, that doesn't just like wash off, right? You know, I'm inside where they're putting Dawn on there, you know, everything. It's that, that slug, that stickiness, grossness and everything has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. But, you know, slugs, they don't move fast, right? So there's the comparison, the, the one that would move slow spiritually. Uh, there's something to be said there, or just in our lives, even uh, outside of a spiritual sense. But, uh, the, you know, what, what Solomon says is that as a result of laziness and complacency, there's poverty and need. And uh, that, can, that can, when you apply that spiritually, 
that we're that we're poor and starving and weak, you know, that's a problem. And we are called to be uh, just like an ant, just busy about the work that God has for us and to be in his word and to be to be growing. You know, a lazy church uh, isn't ready for the prowler where he says, you know, a prowler would come upon them. You know, crazy, crazy, lazy Christians, I should say. Crazy Christians, maybe. Um, but uh, but lazy, we're, we, uh, the scripture very clearly speaks against a, a laziness. Um, but uh, what we see here is these guys were ready to do the work of the Lord. Now, uh, speaking of persecution, you know, that when things are tough, that's where we're usually going to cling to the Lord most in our lives. Have you found that to be true? When things are like just spinning out of control, that if you have an understanding of who God is, whether you know, you're strong in your relationship with the Lord or you've just kind of heard about him and you're like, hey, Lord, I need you. you know, that if you're God, if you're there, can you hear me? That, that the hard times are going to uh, draw us close to God. You probably heard of it. You know, uh, there, there aren't any um, uh, atheists in the foxhole. Right. Because when when the when the battle's raging and you're trying to hide and just protect your head, uh, you know, that's when somebody's going to cry out. That's when somebody's going to get to the point of of uh, just crying out to the Lord. You know, the hard times are where we grow. That's where we get purified, where, where the dross in our lives get taken away and burn out the imperfections. And that's for the Christian. That's where we grow. That's how we uh, get uh, purified. There's a uh, there are a few verses uh, to share with you that the Lord put on my heart this week. And first uh, Peter one uh, verses six and seven says in the Peter writing to the church dispersed. He said in this you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, there. what he's saying here is what you're going through, the trial you're going through is, is good for you, that you're being tested by fire, and that when you come out on the other side, you're going to be praising the Lord, honoring him, and glorifying him. Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. James chapter 1, probably a familiar one for most of us, uh, verses 2 through 4 say, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Uh, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 58 through 57, Paul is writing this. Okay, understand that. Paul, the one that's persecuting the church, Saul of Tarsus, his name is changed to Paul later on. But this is our brother. He, he becomes our brother, but this is the one breathing these murderous threats against them. Later on, as he's an established believer and an apostle of the Lord, he says, uh, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. No matter what we're facing, we can't have a faith that's easily like, like blown over. 
you know, that, that's just barely standing like a, like a, uh, I don't know, something that's barely standing. And, uh, <laughs> right. I told you guys, I'm not very uh, creative and nothing's coming to, to, you know, something that's easily blown over. Okay. Big wind, something with not much, uh, strength to stand. Nothing's coming to mind, but you guys get it right. Stand steadfast. Verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So uh, the focus now switches to a man named Philip. Now there are four Philips mentioned in the scripture. Uh, two are Herod's, Herod the Great's sons from different wives. Uh, the third that we would consider is Philip the Apostle. And he's last mentioned in Acts chapter 1 verse 13 as one that was gathered uh, during Christ's ascension. Church tradition says that he went to Phrygia, um, uh, that would uh, be modern-day Turkey uh, as a missionary and was martyred. You know, this is this Philip is speaking of Philip the evangelist, as we'll see in Acts chapter twenty-one. Uh, Twenty years uh, later, that he's he's called Philip the evangelist. So uh, this guy's in it for the long haul, preaching the word of God and seeking out people. When you consider what an evangelist is, one that would uh, seek uh, people to uh, be able to. Preach the gospel to them. It's a special gift from the Lord. And this Philip was an evangelist. And he went and he would share the word where the Lord would lead him. And we'll get to know him as we uh, study through and how God used him. Uh, you know, we're all called to share our faith. But an evangelist has that as their primary mission and ministry in their life. If you look at uh, Ephesians 4, you'll see the encouragement um, uh, there uh, regarding um the gifts that the Lord has given us. The, uh, sorry, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, uh, one that would spread the gospel. So that's you know who this guy was. Uh, so when it says Philip, that's the one that we're talking about, uh, different than the two sons and different than the apostle. So it says he went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them, to Jews and Samaritans. Uh, now the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And uh, they uh, considered the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half breeds, having a form of corrupted worship to God. Because about four, uh, 750 years before this, the Assyrians had had conquered that northern uh, area of Israel, and they only left the lower class people. And those lower class people were left there, and then they transplanted some pagans into the land uh, and had them intermarry. And the Samaritans were the uh, the result of that. So there was much, uh, there was a uh, a lot of hate between those who consider themselves to be true Jews and the Samaritans, which they considered to be half breeds. So uh, the gospel going to Samaria was a big deal, foretold of. Right? Remember this. If you want to sum up the book of Acts, just remember Acts 1.8. I know I say that every week that we're studying this, but that's that's how that was the source. Jesus said the source of everything that he was calling them to do, uh, that they would receive power from on high in his name uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. You'll see that. So it says that multitudes heeded what Philip said. So they're hearing and seeing miracles, and the miracles were drawing attention to the truth. And God was using him to cast out unclean spirits in the name of Christ. 
Now, uh, this isn't, uh, you know, if, if you grew up in the you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you've seen some weird demonic possession, even today they're making some weird movies that I haven't seen. But when I grew up as an 80s kid, definitely saw all the creepy head-spinning movies and all that stuff. You know, that, don't consider it to be that there's this great battle between uh, Philip and these demons. These demons are completely uh, just weak. And, and helpless at the name of Christ, so that when Philip would speak, they would leave, and they would shriek and yell and everything, but it wasn't like, he's got to really try, and he's got to do this and that, and it's going to take all these days and everything. He's just preaching Christ, and he's freeing people in the name of Christ, and they are simply helpless at the name of Christ. And it says, many who were possessed, you know, it's important to realize that many can be possessed. You know, look at the world we live in. And if we're not convinced that there isn't demonic possession in this world, I don't know what else is going to convince somebody. You know, what would lead somebody to do the awful things that we see uh, in the news? And we, we maybe have witnessed in our lives or seen, you know, some pretty, I mean, extremely, I can't even say pretty, extremely wicked things that would happen. Like, how could, and you just start thinking, because they've rejected God, and because they've rejected God, they're open to this type of, of demonic oppression and possession, and uh, just the craziness that's that's happened here. It says that many were controlled by demonic powers. You know, uh, what I like here is that possession was separated from physical ailment. Again, we read that here recently together, right? That, that there is, uh, unfortunately, the false teaching that if somebody is sick, if somebody is born blind or they're, they're dealing with physical ailment that they are demon possessed or uh, that there's sin in their life. Doesn't mention that here at all. It's saying people that are possessed and those who were going through uh, these other ailments, these things that were going on. God is making a point between the two. I like here that it says there was great joy. The great joy because of the power of the gospel. You know, joy, to sum it up, is the natural reaction to the work of God. Joy is a choice for us. We can choose to live lives just dragging ourselves. Yes, I'm saved. The joy of the Lord in my life, right? Kicking the can down the road, right? Or we can actually meditate on who God is and what he's done for us and let that be our strength and what would you know bring that, that inner joy, that inner peace that only comes from God. Uh, I love how the scripture says that it's sometimes inexpressible. When we consider who he is, that the joy would be inexpressible. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Peter, uh, again, writing to this dispersed church, says, "Whom having Speaking of Jesus, whom having not seen, you love. They haven't seen Jesus. None of us that I know of here have ever physically seen Jesus Christ. And uh, what we see is Peter is giving them a special a word of encouragement. He says, "Whom not having not seen, you love. Though uh, you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." First John one, um, verse four says, "And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Joy may be full because of the work that God does, and when we know who He is and what He's done for us, that joy can never be taken away. That joy, like Philip." That's, that's a joy that can, it, it's inexpressible. There's no way to explain it that a man that's being stoned to death would not only you know, rejoice that he's seeing Jesus Christ, but pray for those that were killing him. 
That's that's a, a, a God-given joy. Lastly, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that God would fill us with all joy and peace. That's what God desires for our life is joy and peace. It's our stubbornness and our stupidity in our lives that usually drags all the junk back into our lives, right? You know, God's delivered us from it, but yet we got to return to it. You know, may we grow in our faith and not return, as the scriptures say, and I don't mean to be gross, but like a dog to its vomit, right? You know, when we do that, what happens? Our lives just continue to become a mess. That's not anything. How many of us would want to look at that and devour it, right? But we do. We do because when we when we uh, you know, want to fulfill our, our sinful flesh and, and follow the lusts of it, We'll look at something like that and go, ah, it's not that bad. No, it is that bad. It's gross. Don't do it, right? <clears throat> Verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astounded, uh, sorry, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was something great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So here's an interesting character being introduced, right? You know, so so we've we've met a few people uh, as we've gone through, and you know, we saw Stephen and Paul last week, and then we see what Paul was doing here, and now we see a man uh, that is being introduced named Simon, and he's known as Simon the Sorcerer, and he's a man who liked to be worshipped and a man that claimed to be something great. Now, when it says the sorcerer, you know, the sorcery is, is condemned in the scripture. So here's somebody, uh, some of your, of your uh, um, different uh, versions of the Bible might say Simon the magician. Um, this guy just loved to trick people. And whether that meant uh, that he had to uh, summon uh, demonic spirits to, to be able to do weird stuff, uh, this was a weird guy, right? So if you're thinking of, you know, the, the guy that you would think, um, you know, this is a guy driving around with a van wrapped with his name in it and probably like, you know, hearses and tombstones on his van and everything. He's a scary guy, you know, with the great power of God uh, is is what they would, con you know, consider him. And what it says here is that he claimed to be somebody great. So he was a self-promoter. And, uh, you know, whenever uh, we have to promote ourselves as someone great, we have a very bad uh, view on life and our uh, position with the Lord is in, uh, in peril. Uh, you know, to, to be somebody that's actually promoting themselves as somebody great. Um, you know, if you look at our culture today, um, much of the, uh, the, the draw that we can see is to be be somebody great, be somebody worshiped. You know, everybody needs to know how great you are. So why don't you dive right into that and show them how great you are? There is, there is a great uh, deal of, uh, of a warning that needs to come uh, against that message because 
that will will ultimately, if it hadn't right immediately, turn into a great pride in our lives and a great pride in our heart. Uh, you know, when the scriptures say, now uh, you guys all know that sometimes sayings get twisted around and they're not right as they continue over time. So if I say, you know, pride comes before, people say the fall, right? But if you actually look, it's coming up here. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty look before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. You know, the fall, you know, maybe you'll survive a fall. But destruction, pride comes before. It's even worse than pride comes before the fall. They're both bad. Don't get me wrong. But there, there's an encouragement for us to be ready for the scripture. And if you yelled out the fall, I wasn't like trying to make you wrong and everybody look at you weird or anything like that. But it's important for us to know the scriptures, right? But what you see here is that pride. Pride comes before destruction, right? That self-promotion and, and desire for worship like this guy had is, is satanic. And look at Isaiah 14 if you by yourself, on your own. Go read Isaiah 14 and you'll see uh, th there's a, a, a declaration there, how you've fallen uh, from heaven, Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, Lucifer. You know, and uh, that the scriptures say that. But in Isaiah 14, there are the five I will statements about about Satan wanting Lucifer, Satan wanting to exalt himself. I will be like the most high. I want to be the one I want to be on the platform. I want to be the one in the spotlight. You know, that type of desire that that is so wrong. Um Guys, is it wrong to, to, to put out a good resume? Absolutely not. But when we're trying to draw people to worship us, it's wrong 100% of the time. 100% of the time. For anybody to want to be the one that everybody goes, ooh, ah, over. That right, that right there is, I want to be worshipped. I want to be. And, and look at our culture. I mean, look at, look at the social media. Is I got to get my face out there. I got to get my face out there. You know, it's an insecurity. It's an insecurity to my camera. You see me? I'm on my face. I want you to recognize me. Those types of things. Oh, man, it's such a slippery slope. You know, the spirit of self-promotion is alive and well, especially in the church today. In the church today. How many times have you turned on the TV, flipping through channels, and you see the pastor in the super cool outfit and the $3,000 shoes and the $5,000 watch, hair slicked perfectly, not out of place or anything like that or, uh, and they got this awesome hey I'm running around I'm super hip and cool I'm gonna preach about one verse like I said there's a place for uh, for a topical teaching I'm not saying uh, anything bad about that but if you're not getting into the word and you're not clinging to the truths of the word and you're just doing that to gain uh, notoriety and to gain money gain all those things that's a problem and then and then you start marketing your best life now. And you, you get all these things, right? You got your big smiley face up there showing. But you won't call sin, sin. How many times have we heard that, that a pastor will say, well, there's really not any, even a hell. Jesus had a lot to say about hell. He had a lot to say about sin. If we say that we're not, that, that those things don't exist, then we're not in line with the scriptures. There's a problem with all those. If we want to excel at something, let's excel in humility. Let's excel in serving. You know, Jesus said the greatest, you know, you want great reward, then be the greatest servant. You know, he was first as last and last is first, right? In God's economy, I love it. You know, all it says here that all gave heed to him from the latest, to, uh, from the least 
to the greatest. So they said that this man is the power, the great power of God. This man wanted to be worshipped. And, uh, you know, just just think of the massive destruction that comes uh, and that has come uh, to the church and individual lives from people following self-promoters. Cults that, that end up happening. Uh, you know, there, there's and countless. You can just do. I don't uh, recommend you know diving into this great thing on you know researching um, you know who who are the, the the greatest cult leaders or whatever without being you know solid in your faith because you can get you know click on the wrong website and they're going to take you to false teachings and all those things. But when you consider these people uh, that have uh, done these these things and how they've derailed entire churches and entire church movements. Uh, just because they're self-promoters and they want to be uh, the the one that is blessed. I mean, if you uh, and and uh, that uh, gains notoriety and fame, you want to see how it works out. Uh, you know, consider Acts chapter twelve for Herod when he accepted worship, uh, where they said the voice of a god. And here I am a few weeks ahead of myself, but voice of a god and not a man, uh, and it doesn't end up well for him. Something about yeah, yeah, eating eaten by worms. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So, uh, yeah, it's not a good thing. The Lord does not, uh, it's, it's not favorable to him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not, be, uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Everybody gave heed to it, and they said that this man was a great power of God. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4 say, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches uh, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which, ha which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You know, Paul's warning the Corinthian church, like, guys, you have to be uh, be ready and be uh, strong in your faith to uh, to uh, contend with these things. Jesus himself said in uh, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're called to be wise, that we wouldn't be led astray by a joker like this, right? That this guy saying, hey, I'm the great power of God. I'm considering myself to be great. You guys should follow after me. Like me on Facebook. You know, share this. That, you know, all those things, right, that it might look like today. This guy just promoting his name. You know, we've had people uh, even in this region recently promoting their own name. and uh, Turn right away from it. Uh, it's awful. These people were led away by sorceries, it says, for a long time. This guy had everybody duped for a long time. You know, guard our hearts. What I like in verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip as he preached about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. It was the preaching. And it wasn't the Philip standing there and they're doing a miracle off, right? And they're going, well, you do this and I'll do that. It wasn't anything like that. Philip came in, preached the word, and everybody knew this was the truth. And they started following and they were saved and they were baptized right there. They put their faith in Christ. You know, when, when we uh, consider here this long-time deception wiped away uh, by the truth. They heard the truth and the truth set them free, right? John said, uh, Jesus said that in John chapter 8. It says, then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He saw real miracles and signs and was uh, amazed. There was no trickery. Um, 
the the true power of God uh, and uh, that that he witnessed and he followed Philip around. You know, at that point he's like, I'm I'm with this guy. You know, was it to be seen? Might have been a little bit of that. He's a brand new Christian, hasn't you know learned that that's a wrong thing to do. But he's like, hey, I'm 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 Philip's guy. I'm gonna walk around. I'm gonna see all these things. So we see that he accepts uh, the Lord. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had first come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon, uh, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only uh, been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the apostles hear that. Wait a minute. The 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 the, the Gospels being preached in Samaria of all places. Those half breeds are hearing the gospel. We got to go down and hear and see what's happening here. And Peter and John get sent, and it says that they prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit because He had not yet fallen upon them. Now, this uh, has been a, uh, a a place of great division that our enemy has used for great division, and we've talked about some of those things here. And and uh, usually, and uh, what I did with the last one, I'm going to do today. Because to sit here and, and make a big argument on this side and that side can also create division. And when you consider predestination, and some will say, well, God is sovereign. Nobody has a choice. Or others will say, man is sovereign. It's all about choice. When you see in the scripture, you're like, oh, I see that there and I see that there. So what one is it? It's right in the middle, right? Because when you consider you know, that, that God isn't willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance, and then you see other ones that say the word predestined in there and everybody's mind just gets put in a blender. I don't know. You hear the truth, just follow it and follow God and preach his name. That's what I'll tell you. Because there's pride in saying that, that well, I'm predestined, but you're not. So you're going to go to hell. You're just fuel for the fire. Right? It's, it's stupid. And, and the division that's caused in the church because of it. The division that's caused here uh, in what was said here is like, so, so is this, it may have happened to some of you as you say, yeah, you know, I got saved like three years ago and I've been going to church. I've been growing. I'm no longer living my life. And, you know, this sin isn't ruling my life. And I've been, you know, blessed. Hey, I got married and, uh, you know, my wife or, or my husband, you know, has been, you know, and, and you just see, uh, you know, this is, and God has, has blessed us with a child. And we're growing so much in the knowledge of the Lord. The first question is, have you spoken tongues? Or they'll say, you know, have you healed anybody? They'll say all these things. They're like, well, have you really received the Holy Spirit? Are you really saved? You see, you see the, the, the problem with that? That's, that's pride that comes from there. Guys, you know, when, when the scriptures are very clear that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth uh, that Jesus is the Christ, then we're saved. Why would anybody want to cut somebody off at the knees and be like, Oh, well, here, I'm just going to, you know, uh, just derail your faith, right? You're going to, well, I'm going to put your, your faith train uh, in full throttle and I'm going to pull it off course and just go full throttle in the other direction and confuse you or anything. People have used scriptures like this to, to, to dig those lines in the sand. Like, well, you know, you, you know, if you haven't uh, received this uh, and you haven't done these things uh, and you, you don't have this gift, then are you really saved and all those things. It's awful, the division that has come from people's interpretations of this. I'm going to share this with you, um, and then we're going to move on. So many op opinions have created great division. Uh, you know, Some will say that, uh, that they're born again and that they had the spirit, uh, but that this was a, a represent. This is my, my take on it. 
Yes, they were born again. Yes, they had the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said that if that if we uh, we confess him as our Savior, that he comes in and lives in us. Okay, so then we have the Holy Spirit living in us because we believe in him, right? Uh, this the What I subscribe to here is that, that uh, these guys were born again, that they had the Holy Spirit, but this represented them receiving special gifts from the Lord through John and Peter. Power, right? Because there's the Holy Spirit... Uh, that, that walks alongside us, right, Para? And in Epi, we've talked about that the Holy Spirit leads us to salvation, right? That he's, he's with us and walks with us and leads us to a relationship with God. And then at, uh, at salvation, the Holy Spirit and now indwells us. The Para was, was with us and is in us. And then Epi is upon the Holy Spirit being poured out upon our lives. That's where we grow in strength. That's where we uh, just we've accepted the Lord. And then God starts working mightily in our lives. And we're going, like, I no longer have a desire to do this, 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 this. That's the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit where we start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, that the Lord is working in our lives. These guys received a special uh, blessing from uh, Peter and John, and uh, they are, are, are now, they've, they've, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them, and it seems to be more uh, than what is received at salvation. And you know, we should always ask for more of the Holy Spirit, and remember that anything He gives us is for His glory, anyways. Verse eighteen, and when Simon saw that uh, that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, this is Simon, um, the sorcerer, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't well received. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this great wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So if you haven't heard of simony, we just saw the example of it and where it came from. The desire to buy or sell something of spiritual or uh, that's spiritual or specific privileges, uh, the desire to be able to do that for personal gain—it's as stupid as it sounds, right? Uh, so somebody would buy something or offer something to somebody so that they could have special privileges or whatever, um, so that you can say, "Well, you can um, you can partake in that or that in your life. You just pay me." And, and I'll intercede for you and you can go do, uh, you know, whatever you want to do or whatever. It's, it's the desire to pay so that you have power. Uh, and uh, that's, that's simony. Uh, so Simon here, uh, he's, the, he's the one that was used to having people follow him for a long time. And people thought a lot of big things about him. Now that he's saved, he's just a dude over there. He's just a normal guy. So he realizes that the true uh, power of the Holy Spirit was something he didn't have. And he's used to being considered someone great. And he saw something new and wanted it. And we see based on Peter's response that it was clearly for selfish motives. Peter said, you and your Another way of saying this, I heard Ken Graves say this years ago, and I loved it. He says, you and your money can go to hell. That's what he's saying. 
You think that you can buy this for your own personal gain? Get out of here. And, and Peter is saying that, that your desire is straight out of hell and that your heart isn't right before the Lord. That's why he's saying that. I mean, somebody says something like that to you, they got your, your, your attention, right? They're like, oh, what are you saying to me? Uh, and this wasn't, um, this wasn't uh, you know, something here that is really going to like draw him in and he's going to go, it's awesome. He's, Peter says, you know, this is a gift of God that cannot be purchased. You're basically saying, in God's economy, your money's no good. Nobody cares about your money. Nobody cares about your name. Uh, you're not great in God's economy. Uh, you're a sinner that was saved here. You know, you, and he says, you're not right in the sight of God. You need to repent of your wickedness. Ask for mercy and forgiveness. For he thought, um, for the thought. You notice it said because of what he thought. You know, that, that's a, a reminder there for our minds you know, what we think in our minds, because what did Jesus say about sin? That if we were to, uh, you know, look on, uh, he was talking to men, he says, if you look on a woman with lust uh, in, in your heart, then you've already committed the adultery. Sin is a result of what's happening inside our heart. That what comes out uh, is is uh, is indicative of what is happening uh, internally here. So he tells him that he's poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Peter, right here, uh, this is another example of somebody getting the bark chewed right off him, you know, verbally. And uh, this is pretty crazy. So what you can see is Peter flunked out of mega church uh, training, apparently. Uh, he, he forgot to miss the class of seeker-friendly um, gospel, and, and he was willing to speak the truth. You know, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. He was faithful to wound this guy. And say, you know what? You're not right before God, and you need to get right before God. And seek his face, and hopefully he'll forgive you for the sin that's in your heart. We're going to stop right there, because it's 1128. And I don't want to shortchange what we were going to. So I, I mentioned Philip, and that we're going to get into it today. But I talk too much. So next week, we're going to pick up in verse 25 and discuss how the Lord used Philip even further. Right. So Philip uh, had just preached in Samaria and we see a lot of people being freed, uh, set free from deception. Right. And that they're as they're being deceived by um, Simon, the sorcerer, they're being drawn in by him and he's taking advantage of them. He's no doubt getting money. He's getting notoriety. He's gaining from them. And uh, and uh, they're being set free from a lie. I was hoping to get through all of this. I only have like a, a combined full page, but it's already 1130. Uh, so I don't want to fly through it and miss uh, some of uh, what we can gain from here. So hopefully uh, we'll get through this in chapter nine next week. If not, we'll do whatever the Lord leads. So uh, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the reminders of uh, how good you are, and uh, Lord, that there uh, is there are false gospels out there that we need to beware, uh, that our hearts need to beware. You know that we know the word that we're putting in the work of doing uh, that that work to uh, to feed ourselves, Lord, to to spend time in prayer, to be in your word, to be at church, to grow. Oh, God, there are so many ways available to us. Help us to not be lazy like the sluggard. But, Lord, because with that, uh, you know, we're open to the prowler like Simon, who deceived many for a long time. And they all thought he was something great, the great power of God. 
oh Lord, that our hearts would be established in who you are and that, that we would be mature in our faith and grow, worshiping and serving you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you. If you